This is Redefining the Counterculture on Witten Radio. Make sure to check out our website at wittenradio.com. The Punisher, a firearm-wielding vigilante, was pulled from New York Comic Con by Marvel and Netflix, something Steve Harsh, who's been attending for years, understands. I do kind of agree with that out of respect for the victims and for the situation. But another attendee, Leo Lawrence, says the Punisher didn't cause the Vegas shooting. That's only punishing the the fans, and it's only letting the idiot that did it win. Punisher or not, security here is tight with the NYPD's heavily armed anti-terrorism unit standing guard. At the Jacob Javits Convention Center in Manhattan, I'm Julie Walker. That's the opposite of what the saying is. Divided. We are not enough. World needs Superman. I made him a promise. Why I brought you together. Ride ain't over yet. My man. That's your... Oh, shit, sorry. That's your signal. That means we have to go now. Yeah, that's, that's what that means. It's so cool. All right, guys, you're listening to another episode of Redefining the Counterculture right here on Witten Radio. Today, we are joined by special guest, author and journalist, Jesse Holland. Jesse, how are you? I'm doing just fine. How are you? Hey, doing great, doing great. I can't complain at all. Um, I'm super excited. This is a huge weekend, as you know, uh, more so for you. 
uh, with the recent release of Black Panther, um, I just wanted to congratulate you. I know that you um, are actually uh, one of the, the forerunners in helping to lay the groundwork in terms of the backstory for the character. And um, I just wanted to ask you, how do you feel today with this film being released and just the, you, the feeling of euphoria for us people of color? Well, I can tell you that I just left out of my third time seeing the Black Panther movie. That's how excited I am. I've already seen it three times. Man, this, the, the seeing this movie on the screen is just so fabulous. Uh, and I'm just glad I was able to play just a small part in telling the story of T'Challa the Black Panther. Absolutely, absolutely. I know that you grew up here in the Mid-South. You know, we're based here in Memphis, and I believe you grew up in Mississippi. Um, or right. You grew up in Mississippi, but grew up in Orange Mound. And it's just, uh, it's so great to just hear uh, a story of success with, with you. Um, tell me, when you first started writing, I know that your love of writing came at a, at a very young age. Did you ever realize that it would take you as far as it's taking you? Man, I had no idea uh, where how far this was going to go. I actually grew up, like you said, in Orange Mound. I was born in Holly Springs, Mississippi, but right after I was born, my parents moved to Orange Mound, right over there on uh, David Street, right across from Orange Mound Park. Wow. Uh, and then they turned around when I was in second grade and moved back to Mississippi. But still, we, my dad has taught, taught his whole career at Tresvent and Treadwell, so I know the streets of Memphis pretty well. And oh, I never... I never thought once in my entire life that I'd ever be so lucky to be part of a something that, that's this big. But, man, you know, it's just incredible what you can do when you have people behind you. And I've had so many people in the Mid-South behind me that it's just, it's just amazing. I owe all my success to them. Man, that is awesome. That is awesome. Um, I know that, you know, your, your writing career, it goes you know, well beyond uh, Black Panther because you've done work with Star Wars as well. And, and right. you actually have, you know, some a, a ton of other writings um, and, and books. Um, when you were first approached with, um, you know, writing and, and creating and, and truly fleshing out the backstory of Black Panther, um, do you remember kind of like what your thoughts or emotions were? Were you familiar with the character at all? Well, I've been reading comic books since I was about five or six. I mean, the only comic book shops that were close to me when I was growing up were in Memphis. There's actually one on Winchester that's right around the right around where that the, the old United Planners building used to be on yeah. on, on Winchester. Uh, no, not Winchester, Poplar, Poplar, um, going going out toward uh, Germantown. And I used to frequent that comic book shop for years and years and years. And actually, then then I found a comic book shop that was run by this brother named Larry. It was like the first time I've ever seen a black man owning a comic book shop, and that was in Memphis. And I wish I could think of Larry's name now because I used to have a whole box in his comic book shop where I would come there every Wednesday. To, uh, I'm sorry. That's, that's awesome. I mean, I'm just envisioning it as you're telling me. Like, it's, Yeah, that's, sorry. My, I had somebody trying to beep in there. So oh, gotcha. That's what happened. But um, I used to have a, a – a whole box in Larry's comic book shop. And I really wish I could remember his last name because I owe him a big debt. Um, <laughs> because, you know, I've been reading comic books my entire life, and it's been just so cool to have people come to you and say, we want you to do this. Now, I didn't approach Star Wars or Marvel. Star Wars and Marvel approached me because I had my original writing 
in book form were African-American history. I wrote two African-American history books, one called uh, Black Men Built the Capitol and the other one called The Invisible, the untold story of African-American slaves in the White House. And you never know what life will bring you. Editors at both Lucasfilm and Marvel read those books, and they wanted histories written for two characters. One was Finn in Star Wars, and the other one was the Charles the Black Panther. And I was just over the moon when they called. Man, I can only imagine. I mean, it's it's a dream of like a lifetime for so many people, and just being able to just to say, you know, what I mean, because you 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 now are able to tell your children that. You know, hey, I was instrumental in helping to really grow and develop this character. You know, I think that that's amazing. I mean, it is incredible. My daughter's actually <laughs> sitting here with me right now. She's actually seen the Black Panther movie with me twice. And each time she's like transfixed. So, I mean, it's just incredible that children will these days will be able to grow up seeing heroes that look like them. Yes. When we were growing up, there there was nobody on the screen leading role in these superhero movies that look like us on TV or in the film. But now that's gone forever because my kids and all kids around the country and around the world will be able to grow up with heroes that look like them. Amen. Amen. You're so right. You're so right. Yeah. When I grew up in the eighties, all we had was the Chris, the Christopher Reeves films and then, uh, you know, Michael Keaton as Batman. And so, yeah, there really wasn't any black representation even when X-Men came out in the early 2000s, it still wasn't really centered around the black characters as much as it was, you know, Wolverine. and Right. So. <laughs> I mean, there were, there, were, there were a couple, but they were always kind of off. They were played for, to be jokes. You had, like, exactly. Robert Townsend's Meteor Man. You had Damon Wayans, <laughs> Wayans' Blank Man. But they were right. jokes. They were, they were, nobody grows up saying they want to be Blank Man. Right. Um, and then you had Wesley Snipes and Blade, but Wesley, that was more of an anti-hero than a hero. Right. So, so it's so cool that kids will grow up today saying, I want to be the Black Panther. I want to be a Dora Mahale warrior. I mean, it's so, it's so cool that they will grow up seeing people on screen that they can be. Yes, absolutely. I completely agree. And that just plays so much into the significance of this character. I mean, he's he's larger than life, you know, to all of us. And he really has broken, you know, seeing him on the silver screen has really broken down a lot of barriers. And, I mean, it just sets the bar, you know, for, for things to come. So. Exactly. <laughs> um, when you were um, basically fleshing out the, the backstory and just um, working to lay the foundation and, you know, helping to build onto the foundation of the character, um, I, I had read somewhere that it, it took you, you had a six-month window. Um, would you say that the process was particularly arduous, or did you find that it came rather easy? Did you Was this something that you really, I guess, well, um, go ahead, I'm sorry. Well, I, I, I'll, I'll say that it was a tight deadline to get it done, but the work of the writers who came before me, people like Christopher Priest, like Reginald Hudland, they had already defined the characters of the people who populate the Black Panthers world. T'Challa has a, already has a specific character. He has a specific way of acting. Um, Shuri, his sister, excuse me, Shuri, his sister, has a particular way of acting. So does Ramonda. So the work of the great writers who came before me, 
these characters already had personalities and quirks and the ways that they were going to act. All that I had to do was just put them through their paces. So I was incredibly lucky that I'm working in a world where great writers like Christopher Priest and uh, Reginald Hudlin, they that they've done such great work on these characters, and I get to add my little bit to it. Absolutely. I love it. You're so right. Yeah, he, you know, he's been a character since, uh, I think, 64? With 66. 66. July 1966. That's right. And um, he was introduced uh, with the Fantastic Four. So, yeah, he's he's had that, you know, that backstory. Um, but in terms of updating him, uh, updating his story, you know, to, to make it uh, relatable for the present day, um would you say that it came rather easy based on uh, Hudlin's work? And Well, T'Challa is a classic character. I mean, there wasn't much that needed to be done with his character to bring him into the modern day. I mean, gotcha. I can just think, I can think of a couple of things that they had him doing in the past that he would never do now. And one right. of those things was like smoking. Yes. <laughs> He'd never smoke a cigarette. He doesn't no. put that kind of stuff in his body. But other than little quirks like that, the character as created by Stanley and Jack Kirby in 1966, he's the same character today. It's just the world around him is what you have to change. So I, I just had to update the world around T'Challa, you know, and, and especially in the novel, I bring him into modern time with modern settings. For example, I opened the book actually here in Washington, D.C. at the Smithsonian National Museum of African American History and Culture. Because if it. you're the king of Wakanda and you're coming to America, where else would you go? The black exactly. is where you would go. So that's where I start the book. So, you know, it's just the world around him that needs updating. T'Challa is such a classic, cool character. He's still the same. I love it. I love it. Um, what was it like for you seeing um, the, the African nation of Wakanda on the big screen? Because I know that we've seen it in comic books. Um, right. It's, you know, describing your book. But seeing it on the silver screen, what was it like for you? I mean, I would imagine that um, it had to have been breathtaking. Man, Ryan Coogler hit it out the park with this movie, <laughs> especially with the depiction of Wakanda. Wakanda is exactly what I envisioned it to be, an African country, the most technologically advanced country in the world, merging both nature and electronic and technology, man, it's exactly what you would envision. If you haven't seen the movie, just the background of Wakanda would, is just going to blow you away. The action and the story are cool, and they're, it's really good, but just the background and visioning of what Wakanda could really look like in this world, man, it's breathtaking. Man, I can't uh, wait. I'm, at, I'm actually headed there uh, after this interview to go, to go see it. And um, it's been, as you know, here in Memphis, um, we only have so many theaters um, right. And most of them have been sold out, which is good. I know what well, you mean. Not my, complaining at all. <laughs> my so. parents had went to see it uh, at noon yesterday because that's the only tickets my sisters could get for them. Right, right. So you know. <laughs> I know. Man, it's awesome. It's awesome. Um, you know, of course, there's been, um, you know, with Black Panther um, being, um, you know, recently released and then uh, Black Lightning on the CW. Um, uh, last month and then last year with um, Luke Cage on Netflix, right. it's um, safe to say that um, there is definitely a resurgence of uh, black superheroes, which is good. Um, do you yourself, um, as as a as a writer and somebody that you know is just has been absolutely instrumental in helping 
um, with this. Are you pleased with um, how uh, it's how we are being represented thus far? So far, man, it's been excellent. I'm calling this a little a little Harlem Renaissance of black superheroes. Yes, um, we <laughs> haven't seen things like this ever before, where we have black men represented as main characters, as characters of power on television. Uh, characters that everyone can look up to, not just black kids, but everybody can look up to. It's just amazing. There's only one more barrier left to break, and I'm sure somebody's going to break it soon. We now need black women yes. to be the main character, the superhero on the screen. So Indeed. there's always work to do, but I'm happy we've gotten this far. I'm so, so happy. I'm so, so happy. Um, I know that um, I, I still have yet to see the film. Um, I'm going here in a couple of hours. Um, and for our listening audience, um, I, I don't want to ruin it too much for them. Right, um, no but, spoilers. Okay. But do you think, um, I guess this could be a yes or no, but do you think um, there would be there will be room in the future um, to see um, Storm and Black Panther's uh, romance? Well, you know, that's an interesting question. Uh, <laughs> it, a year ago, I would have said no because the Fox world and the Disney world were two separate worlds. But now that Fox has, has been sold, Fox's movie division has been sold to Disney, anything could happen, but I bet it would take a while for them to get to that. So I'm going to say maybe, but I'm not holding my breath. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Right on. Um, I want to transition just for a little bit, and I want to talk a little bit about your writing. Um, you know, you're more, you're, you are known for more than just uh, your your work with Black Panther um, and Star Wars. Like you said, you, you have several other books. Um, as a writer, you know, a lot of people aspire to be writers, um, but they, they don't really know how. They don't really have, I guess, the, the first inclination uh, for somebody, for that young um, kid out there or uh, the high school student that um, is listening uh, or even, you know, somebody, you know, in middle age, you know, that's listening to this interview um, and they desire to, to get into the world of, of self-publishing or, or writing, um, what advice would you give to them? All right. When I always get this question, I always tell them two different things. The first thing you got to do, if you want to write, you got to read because you've got to see what works and what doesn't. So you always have to read, and you keep reading. I mean, even though I, I, I'm writing in this comic book world, I read books on psychology. I read books on science. I read, I read memoirs. I'm actually reading Roxane Gay's memoir, Hunger, right now about body issues. So, I mean, if you want to write, you need something to draw from. Reading is a great way to do that. So read everything you can get your hands on, and that will make you a better writer. The second thing I always say is writing is like any other skill. You've got to practice. I write every day. Every day of my life, I write. I write something. Michael Jordan didn't get to be the best basketball player, by, basketball player in the world by not practicing. You cannot be a good or even a great writer if you don't practice. So just like Michael Jordan gets up and shoots 100 free throws every morning, I try to get up and I try to write something every single day. And if you want to be a good writer as well, you've got to do the same thing. You've got to practice the craft. I also have now tell people that you've got to take classes in the thing you love. I teach creative writing now. 
And the only reason why I'm teaching is because I started taking creative writing classes up at Goucher College in Baltimore in 2010. And so now I'm teaching creative writing there. But you have to learn from the people who know what they're doing. You've got to find people who are going in the same direction you want to go and get with them. So if you want to write, find yourself a writing group. Take some writing classes. Find out. Find the people who want to do the same thing you're doing and get with them, and they'll make you better. Absolutely. I love it. I love it. Um, this next, next question might be a little bit strange, um, okay. but it deals with um, just the millennial culture, and the, I call it like the, the text now culture where um, so many of these like slang words and, and so on and so forth have become like actual words that are even in the dictionary. Um, with the way that millennials communicate now, do you think that um, how should I put this traditional English or traditional writing is uh, in danger of becoming extinct? Well, I can tell you this: the English language is always evolving. And we're seeing it evolve right now through the language that's being developed around texting. There will always be arguments on what's real English and what's, what are made-up words. There will always be arguments over uh, slang versus the, quote-unquote, Queen's English. But if, you, if you're a writer, you don't need to worry about that. All you need to do is worry about are you communicating the ideas to your audience in the way that you want to, no matter what words you're using. If your audience can't understand you, then you failed as a writer. So the language is always evolving, but as a writer, it's our job to make sure we're communicating to our audiences in the ways that they can understand. So I'm okay with people using the words that are coming up in the language now. I always warn them, however, if your audience don't, don't know those same words, you failed as a writer. <laughs> I agree. I completely agree. Um, I want to uh, transition briefly, and I want to talk about your work. Um, what's the biggest takeaway that you want people to get from the, the work, you know, your many works, your, your writing, and just the work that you've done? Because you're also a, t a teacher and a journalist. Um, looking back, you know, 20, 30, even 40 years from now, uh, how do you want to be remembered? How do you want your children, your, your daughter, to remember, remember you? Well, honestly, I'm not anywhere close to starting thinking, thinking about a legacy. But if I did have to say something on those lines, I would just want my kids to know that I tried my best at everything I did, that I didn't do anything halfway. And if there was a goal I, I set for myself, I did everything I could to achieve it. But I'm a long way from thinking about any type of legacies. Right now, I'm just trying to do the best I can with what I have. I completely understand. I'm right there with you. <laughs> I'm right there with you. Um, I know that you're super, super busy. Um, you have um, a lot going on with, you know, the release, recent release of this movie. And, I mean, people are, are pining for your book because it just gives that much more insight on the character. Um, it's, uh, it's good because people, you know, uh, have – a lot of people had never heard of Black Panther before, you know, this weekend and, and seeing that now has got to be absolutely just riveting. Um, what, other, what other projects are you currently working on that you can tell us about or that you feel comfortable talking about? 
Well, I can't announce anything now, but I'll have some things, other new things coming up later on this year. There's always some, I always try to have something in the hopper where I can, or because you always want to keep busy. You never want to sit still. You always want to challenge yourself. So I'll have some things to announce later on in the year, but just just know that I'm always writing and I'm always looking for the next opportunity. Very nice. And where can our listening audience find out more about you and keep abreast of your current and upcoming projects? You can always find me at my website, which is www.jessejholland.com, www.jessejholland.com. I always post there, and you can always find me on Twitter and on Facebook under that same name. I love it. I love it. And my last question, um, Jesse, is is I know that you're a huge uh, sci-fi buff, and you love comic books and and all sorts, you know, um, of great, great things. Um, what would you say is the the number one reason uh, or the biggest thing that um, has made you such a such a fan, such an aficionado of um, of comics and sci-fi? What you know, it's always about the imagination, man, and thinking about the future. Uh, with comic books and with sci-fi, we're always thinking about what's next. Comic books and sci-fi are rarely about the past; they're usually about the future. So, I mean, you're always looking to that next world, trying to find ways of thinking of how the world could be better, how technology could be better, how people could be better. That's what attracts me to the, to the world of comic books and sci-fi, is that we're always looking toward the future. I love it. Yeah, you're so right. That's And, and really, when you look at, like, you know, uh, sci-fi shows like Star Trek and right. you know, Star Wars, you know, like, the things that were shown uh, – to us as people, you know, 20, 30 years ago, really helped to kind of develop the inventions that we know today, you know, like without a device, exactly. there may there may have never been an iPhone, you know what I mean? Exactly. It's, it's exactly. like, it's, it's awesome. And I'm so excited for Black Panther because, I mean, I'm sure like some of the tech that we see in there might actually come to fruition someday. So you, it's, people um, are always working. So isn't that great? It is. It really is. I'm just, uh, I'm excited. And um, I wanted to thank you so much um, for coming on today's show. I'm all out of questions, but I wanted to just open the floor to you if there's anything you'd like to say to our listening audience. Oh, no. Just want to say thank you again to everybody in the Mid-South and Memphis, my people in Orange Mile, my people in Holly Springs, Mississippi, and to my uh, brothers in Omega Sci-Fi. I just want to throw up, throw up a root to the bros. Okay. And I, I'm always happy to be come back home, so I'll see all of y'all soon. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much, Jesse. Thank you. Have a good day. You as well. Bye. Bye. Guys, that was author Jesse Holland. Uh, he is live from uh, D.C. Uh, we were uh, interviewing him from the Smithsonian Institute of African American History. Uh, if you haven't already, go out and check out Black Panther. It's a great, great film. Uh, Jesse's book, um, written a book about the rise of the Black Panther, uh, you can check it out. We'll put a link to it in the body of this post. If you're listening to us on SoundCloud, go ahead and hit the subscribe button. We're also on your um, iOS device. If you've got an Apple iPhone of any kind, uh, you can download it, this episode by uh, going to the uh, iTunes store and searching searching the Stitcher Smart Radio app, search for our show name, Redefining the Counterculture. You'll hear this interview with Jesse. Uh, we're also available for um, Android users. If you have an Android phone of any type, uh, you can listen to us by going to the Google Play Store, search Google Play Music, search for our show name. Again, it's Redefining the Counterculture. Uh, lastly, if you've got a Roku player or a Roku smart television, you can watch this interview uh, right from the comfort of your own home. It's, we have over 200 hours of original content programming and interviews, all free of charge. 
uh, from the Roku Channel Store or your Roku uh, Smart Television. Search for our name. Once you search for our name, download the app. Once you download the app, you can begin streaming all free of charge. <laughs> 